been two years since we've been here together. And I am, for one, very grateful to be in the house of the Lord on Easter. But in all of the pomp and circumstance, I remind you of the words of the writer of Hebrews. In chapter 2 when he says, We do not yet understand or see all these things, but we see Jesus. This morning, my heart in prayer is that we see nothing else but Jesus. It should be our focus every day. Yet on this day especially, may we see Jesus. I beg of you as the woman who met him at the well, who being revealed in the very depravity of sin, Jesus gave her water that she would never thirst again. And in so doing ran to all of her friends and family and said, come, see a man. Come, see a man. Andrew went to Peter and said, I have seen the Messiah. My friends, today it will be nothing but a waste. It will be a beautiful day of pomp and circumstance if we leave this place having not seen Jesus. Oh, if not for Jesus. If not for Jesus. Today, I want you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Someone very close to me, and I won't mention his name, when I told him what I was preaching today, he said, that's not the Gospels. How are you going to preach on Jesus? It's not the Gospels. First Corinthians, really? And I understand that. And he said so jokingly, but I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul, the Apostle born out of due season, wrote. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. I declare, declare unto you the good news, that glorious story of Jesus and his love, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which also I received. Now hear what he says. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And what does he mean by according to the scriptures? From Genesis, we see the incorruptible seed. From Exodus, and we see the lawgiver. And we see the holy presence of God through the sacrifice. We see it in Leviticus. And we see it in Numbers and Deuteronomy. We see it through the first and second kings and chronicles and Samuel. We see him in Psalms and Isaiah. We see him in Malachi and Obadiah. We see him in the fullness of scripture. And Paul understood that. For as Saul being a Jew of the Jews, he knew the law backwards and forwards. He knew the fullness of the Torah. And he could quote to you the Pentateuch. Yet he says... According to the scriptures, the Messiah has come. That he was delivered to you first of all, that which also I received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus, if you didn't know this, is risen. I don't think y'all heard me. Our 
Lord and Savior, our hope, our life, our eternity, our existence is wrapped up in what I just told you. Jesus is risen. My friends, we are a people of the cross. We're a people of that empty tomb. That is the empty tomb. I have been there. I have been in it. But you know what? As the song by the inspirations decades ago said, I don't have to go there to know he's not there. For Jesus is risen. Now if I have just a little spell this morning, just pardon me because it's Easter. And Jesus is risen. Now we had a great time last year on Easter. All 13 of us. And we had a great time, amen? But oh, I've missed you. And oh, what it does to see so many of us unmask Satan for what he is and say our victory is in Christ, the risen King. This morning I will not pontificate on all the false doctrines of how they believe Jesus swooned at the, at the cross, that the disciples stole his body and all the other things. We just want to simply walk through in the most simplistic form the story of old and ask if not for Jesus. So why did Jesus come to live among men? You ever wondered that? Why? Why? And, and there's so many hymns that speaks of how he left glory above. There's scripture after scripture that talks about him being made lower than the angels. One such scripture in Hebrews 10, 5-7 says, Therefore when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. You all know why Jesus came to live among men? The Father declared it. Throughout Scripture, the Father declared it from the very beginning of Scripture. We see that. And I want you to understand in the most practical terms why Jesus came to live among men. Think about this. As we see in the first few chapters of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth and He created the animals and He created the trees and the grass and He separated the water from the ground and He separated the light from dark. And then he took some clay, molded it up, and he breathed life into man. And he said that he created man in his image. You see, man was made in the image of God. That's why we must learn, we must understand that the sanctity of human life, whether it is in the womb or whether it's in the nursing home, every single life is created in the image of God. I got news for you. From the very beginning, God told us which lives matter. And it's every single one of them. So in the beginning, God created man in his image. Yet man chose to disobey. And this brought death on all mankind. In the first Adam, the Bible says, all man dies, correct? And so what would God do with that? Just let it go awry, let it just be destroyed for all things. When people say, if your God is such a loving God, why is there so much suffering in the world? That is like trying to compare apples with oranges. The truth is that the only hope is because God loves us. The sin and the depravity of this world lay solely at our feet. 
and yet it pleased God to bruise him. Why? Because God created man in his image. Man in his free will chose to disobey, yet God was made in the image of man to reconcile mankind to his will for everlasting life. God never meant man to die. Do you know why death is never easy, whether they're 102 or whether they're 12? Whether we have seen it coming for months, whether we've seen it in hospice, or whether it is instantaneous and catches us off guard. Death is never meant to be easy because God did not create it. We brought it on ourselves as a punishment of disobedience. God warned Adam, eat of the tree and you die. He ate the tree and he died. And yet from that very moment, even outside of time, God had already from the foundation of the world prepared his son and declared a difference. You see... Jesus came to live among men, and he did so being born without sin. We see the virgin birth. Genesis 3.15 prophesies and says, I will put enmity, I will put division, hostility between you and the woman. He's cursing Satan now. He said, Satan, you will not be able to do anything about the seed of the woman. He said, and between your seed and her seed... He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He said that this seed born of this virgin shall stomp you in the dirt. Why do you think Satan won't leave you alone? Talked with the praise team this morning. What Satan knew that they were going to get up and glorify God this morning. And he's worked on all of us. He's been in the pastor's office. I mean, I ain't been alone one second all week. I don't know about you. Satan has been as a roaring lion, walking through this stage, walking through the halls of this church, walking through the halls of your mind, your heart, and your home. But I got wonderful, glorious news. He's a defeated foe from the very beginning. God declared it through the virgin birth. It said in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And she said, how can this be since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. and The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And just the sound of the virgin's voice caused John the Baptist to leap in his mother's womb. Jesus was coming. Amen? Now I don't know about you, But I've been reminded more and more in the last year, not only did Jesus come, but he's coming again. Y'all hear me? This is not all there is. Life is but a vapor. And we must be about the Father's business. I want to urge you right now, if you have a grudge, if there's something that's holding you back from the fullest extent of surrender to God, you're mad about something, you're mad at someone, you're holding something back, you're not walking in the freedom that you know is available in Christ, He did not die, buried and risen again so that you could wallow in the misery of this world. It is time. I'm telling you, church, if there's ever been a time we ought to be rushing to the altar of God and pleading the blood of Jesus, it's today. How can this be? I've never been with a man. For that which is impossible with man is possible with God. 
And the reason I just said that, because as soon as I said something about coming to this altar, Satan gave you every excuse why you can't or why you shouldn't. You know, the preacher don't know how bad I am. I don't care how bad you are. Jesus died for your sins. And he died to set men free. Not that we would continue in the bondage of this world. Listen. He was born without sin, but he completed this life without sin. 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, Christ also suffered for us. Christ suffered for you. Did he suffer so that you could live any way you want to? For where sin did abound, where there was much sin, can I give you a little word of hope today? Can I? You want some hope? You need hope? We live in a pretty desperate world, don't we? I mean, just this past week, the big news was the Satan tennis shoes. Or sneakers, or whatever you want to call them. And even one of the most liberal, woke companies in the world is suing to stop it. We live in a pretty sinful world, don't we? The truth is that where sin did abound, so much more did grace. When you look at the depth and depravity of this world, no, Christ is bigger. No, Christ is greater. No, Christ is stronger. And that in us, we've been made more than conquerors through Him. I don't know about you, but that does something for me. That ain't even wrote on the page, but it's written in my heart. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Think about this. Not even one teensy-weensy little bitty white lie. He never stole a pencil thinking, well, boss got plenty of them. He never clocked in late or clocked out early. He never lounged on the company dime. He never found excuses why he couldn't do this or couldn't do that. But in the volumes of the book, he came to do the will of the Father. And it said, he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree. The Jews may have schemed Judas Iscariot, may have betrayed and the Romans may have nailed him there. But my friends, I want you to understand it was your sin that put him on that cross. And I'm the chief. Every strike of that hammer, every drop of that blood was shed for you and me. Does that do anything for you? It breaks my heart and at the same time causes me to want to shout. For he is my life, my hope in all things. He completed this life without sin. And he did so because he must to be able to save. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, based on all of this, he is also able to save them unto the uttermost, those who come to God through him. Why did Jesus come to live among men? That's why he came to live among men whereby he would fully feel the pain of the thorns and the absolute wrenching out of the hunger and thirst through 40 days of fasting and through the the 
the unimaginable terror of the body being crucified and hung upon a tree, whether it's asphyxiation or the pain of the nails driven through his hands and his feet. And as the blood came streaming down, he looked down and saw his mother. He saw one disciple left. And yet he saw you and me as well. You see, he completed this life without any sin at all. So why did Jesus come to die? Well, he said again in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I declare to you the gospel by which you're saved if you hold fast these words. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You see, the father declared that Jesus must come and live and he declared it to his son and he declared it to the world. But not only did the father declare that Jesus must come and live among men, taking on the robe of flesh, but the father demanded a sacrifice. When we read the Old Testament, my mother and I were talking the other day as she was reading through and told her where I was reading and she's been listening to the messages and you know, we've been in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and we've talked about all that story and we've if you've read through any of that, you know, you know the depth of the sacrifices and the intricacies. I'm telling you, I know we're not under the law, but I know one thing, God's a holy God, and for us to just pop gum, high-stepping it in the house of God and the way we live, and we treat God like He's an afterthought when He is the most holy of God, and we take for granted our next breath that He does not have to give you. He demanded a sacrifice. Listen, for those who would rebel against God, He struck them dead. For a man who once repented for having done that which was wrong and admitted it, God still had him and his whole family stoned. My mother said, you know, it gets bloody over here, don't it? For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And once a year, the high priest would enter into that Holy of Holies with the blood of that paschal lamb, that sacrificial lamb, that the blood was shed for the covering of the sins of a nation. But my friends, when Jesus came, he is the lamb of God, and his blood was shed so that all sin could be cleansed. Why did Jesus die? The Father demanded it. Hebrews 10 says, By that will... God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Hear this now. Those of you who are battling with your salvation, the security of being in Christ, if you have been saved, he said that you have been sanctified, set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, not the offering of your body. And that Jesus did it once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. I don't know about you, but one of the best feelings in the world is having a very productive day where you feel like you got something done and you go and sit down and you do the good old man breathe. <sighs> Praise God when Jesus died and is risen again, he sat down. What was the last thing he said from the cross? It is, he didn't say I'm finished. 
I've had some days where I said that. Biggie say, is it finished? No, I'm finished. No, I still got stuff to do on that. When Jesus was done, he didn't say I'm finished. He said, it is finished. The will of the Father is complete. And he sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is king. He is Lord of lords. And we will rule and reign with him if we are bought by him. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Just that ought to turn you loose. To tell the world what Jesus has done for you. I'm just going to stop and tell you what Jesus has done for me. If you get tired of hearing it, I don't care because I don't. See, I was born and raised in a Christian home. To a godly father, an ordained deacon, and a mother who loved Jesus. And there was no question on Saturday night where we were going Sunday morning. You see, back in that day, you want to get here on time, lay your stuff out on Saturday night. I can't believe I just said that. I know, Aubrey, it sounds just like you, don't it? That's exactly what I do. I'm going to lay out what I'm going to wear for the next day. I'm going to take out my suit pants, lay it over the chair. I'm going to pick out what tie. And you know me, I've got to have the socks to match, so I've got to get it all down pat. I want to know, and there ain't going to be no changing on Sunday morning. When I go to bed Saturday night, I know what's going to be put on Sunday morning. And we did that. We went to Sunday school. We went to RAs. How many ever went to RAs, GAs, Actines, or Sunbeams? How many of you wished you had never went? Changed my life. Because you see, I saw men being men in Christ not a bunch of sissy weak-wristed tree hug listen the only thing they hug with a tree is a big old chainsaw and they would lay it low and build a big fire and we would go camping and we would go fishing and all you listen if you're too busy for that you're too busy and we've got to get back to our young girls and our young men seeing us be men and women of the cross. And I went to RAs and I memorized. As a royal ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ. To have a Christ-like concern for all people. To learn how the message of Christ is carried around the world. And to keep myself clean and healthy in mind and body. And I had that little blue royal ambassador card. First thing I ever carried in a wallet. And I went to Miss Cook's Sunday school class. Those of you who've been teaching forever, I think she was like 84 when I was born. She must have been at least 118 when she died. Two great things about Miss Cook. Miss Cook taught us about the Lord. Second of all, we didn't call them wild game suppers. We just called them homecoming. And Miss Cook raised rabbits and she would barbecue rabbits for homecoming. And as a young boy, that's where I went when the prayer was about to start. I know some of you can't take it. Y'all still yuppies. But oh, it was good. Miss Maggie had love on us in the nursery. Some of you, it's time to suck it up and spend your time blessing those children, blessing parents. We can't have three people do a rotation every week and then all of us complain because ain't nobody keeping our kids. There's a place for all of us to serve. And that's an easy one. Sign up. Miss Michelle will stay as long as it takes to get all of you signed up today. As the church grows, we're going to need more people teaching Sunday school. We're going to need men to step it up and teach these young guys. But you see, one week my pastor had a thing that we don't even know what they are anymore. 
He had a revival. Had a revival. As far as I know, they still do it every year. First week of August. Homecoming starts on Sunday. Revival starts at night. And back then, it went all week long. Because used to, we planned the world around the church, not the way we do now. Y'all know I love ball. Y'all know I do. You played golf with me, and you've seen me coach about every sport here in Claxton. But I'm here to tell you, God does not care what batting average your child had as a kid. What's going to matter in your child's life is that they know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and that they know him intimately. And so on a Thursday night of that revival, with the gospel being preached, not just during revival, but by my parents, by my RA directors, by my Sunday school teacher, by my training union teacher, Training union was before discipleship training. Before what we call small groups, we had training union. Miss June serving me vacation Bible school cookies and red Kool-Aid. Yeah, they didn't figure out what that red dye would do to kids back then. But on that Thursday night, I met the master I came to an altar of faith, prayer, and surrender. And yes, my mom and daddy come and prayed with me. Preacher standing up here, the pastor down there, you know, all the positions we take. But I had no idea my mom and daddy was in that altar until I was done praying. Because you see, my mom and daddy, I'd heard them pray for me. But this was one thing they couldn't do. And I had to do business with God. You think being a good man and being married to a godly wife is going to get you to heaven? Not going to work. Being a really, really good mom that really, really loves your kids and buys them the latest, greatest things, not going to get you to heaven. You see, you're going to have to meet the master just like I did, one-on-one surrendered and confessing your sins and asking him to save you. That's what Easter means to me. Because you see, the father demanded a payment for sin. He said in Hebrews 9, 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus Paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, yet he washed it white as snow. Not only was the payment offered by Jesus, the penalty was removed. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad the payment's been made? There's I mean, it's just, it's so cool to be on both sides of this. We've been sitting there, and not, not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, we were at the local restaurant and several of us eating. And when I got, I, I told the lady, I said, I, I need to pay. And she pointed toward the front, and I went up front, and I said, I don't have a ticket. And he said, oh, Someone already has taken care of all of you. And, and this is one of those rare cases. I couldn't figure out who it was. Somebody had done it. I'm like, that's pretty cool. But every once in a while, I've had the opportunity to do the same. But I'm here to tell you, when you close your eyes on this side, you can know that the price has been paid. All of it. 
You don't even have to leave a tip. Jesus paid it all. Christ paid it. The penalty has been removed of sin. Sin, death. The wages of sin is death. But then purity is provided. Don't, listen, we're, we all live in the flesh, but that is not a reason or an excuse to live any kind of way you want. You remember when I quoted a while ago in Romans 5 where sin did abound, so much more did grace abound? You remember that? You remember it started this message? It ain't been that long ago. Guess what the next verse says? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Some of us live like hell and expect heaven in our lives. We shake our fist at God when our life is falling apart. When we have driven ourselves into the very center of the depravity that Satan has set forth. And we wonder why we can't get up and come and learn about God's Word. If Jesus can die for us, can't we live for Him? My friends, purity is provided. Romans 14 says, For none of us live to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Amen. You see, he was willing to save. There had to be a Savior who was able to save, but then he had to be willing to save. Jesus was both able and he was willing. What did Jesus say? I'm going to tell you the most holy moment I love the empty tomb. Don't get me wrong. But as you were here last Sunday night, and listen, you can go be there with me next February. You can go in that tomb. But the most holy of moments for me was standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, looking at those over 2,000-year-old olive trees and knowing my Savior knelt right there and said these words, Not my will, but thy will be done. That's hard for everybody in this room. I don't care how humble and self-deprecating you are. We want our own way. We all do. We like what we like. We dislike what we dislike. And no one in this place completely, utterly lines up with someone else. Even the closest of close, we have our differences. But Jesus surrendered all of his that the Father's will would be done. Are you surrendered to him today? Listen, if not for Jesus, listen, because of Jesus, he came and lived among men. He came and died on a cross. But I want you to understand because of Jesus, there is victory over personal death. Jesus is risen. He told us once again in 1 Corinthians 15, He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Jesus lived. Jesus died. But Jesus is risen. You see, God demonstrated it. John 10, 10 says the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Aren't you ready for some abundant life? Huh? Now, I like going fishing. Steve, right there is where you, amen, right there. Amen. I, li I like going fishing. Some days I love to go fishing. But the older I've got, I'll be really, really, really honest with you. I don't want to go and not catch anything. And the older I get, you know, I'm not tournament fishing. I'm not hoping for the next cat. I'm like, let's go. Uh, this is, 
this is boring. There are so many other things that I could be doing. But you know there's days. There's days where you go, you just think, hey, we're going to take a shot. And you cannot do any wrong. You can throw everything you've got and catch them. You can catch big ones. You can catch, I've had two or three of those days in my life. One about a year ago this week. Where everything we threw, they, they bit it. I'm talking about big ones and little ones and everything in between. There's those days where you can do no wrong. That's abundant fishing. My friends, Jesus came that our life would be full of Him every single day in His fullest abundance. Y'all get that analogy right there? It's like, for those of you who don't go fishing, I don't know what's wrong with y'all, but it's like going and saying, well, I'm just going to see if anything's on sale, and everything's on sale. And it's all your size. And it's the stuff that you've been wanting. I relate just a little bit to that. It is the abundant life when we live in Christ Jesus. Listen, there's victory over personal death. Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. All that Old Testament stuff, the turtle doves and the rams and the goats and the uh, scapegoats and the, the blood sprinkled everywhere and this chopped up this way and the gall put this way and the kidneys put that way and this is burnt and this is cooked and this is done away with and this is done that way and all that over and over and over and over and over again. 613 laws. Ten commandments but 613 laws. Can't eat shrimp. Can't eat pork. Aren't you glad for grace, Lee? I believe over there we're Peter. And I've told you this before, but listen, that was the first pork barbecue. Everybody says everything's better in Texas. Man, they eat beef. That's steak. Barbecue's pork. Fried shrimp. Crab legs and oysters and all that good stuff. Well, guess what? Under the law, you can't eat any of that. None of it. If for no other reason, I love the grace of Jesus. Amen. It's kind of telling. But it's not just that. It's the ceremonial law, the dietary laws, all of that stuff. Listen, the veil was rent, tore apart, and we can now come boldly to his throne because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And then there's victory over the purpose of death. You know what the purpose of death is? To completely kill. Not just kind of kill. I was talking with someone last night about Alexander the Great and some prophecies from Ezekiel and stuff. Alexander the Great conquered most of the entire world, especially the civilized world, by the time he was 30 years old. Any 30-year-olds? Any 30-year-olds? Everybody's younger or older. By 30 years old, listen, I didn't even know what I wanted to do when I was 30. Jesus didn't start his ministry, according to the law, until he was 30. Alexander the Great had conquered the world by 30. Dead by 33. Drank himself to death, living in sin. And his last request before he died was to bury him in a sarcophagus with his arms exposed so that he could hold the ground that he had conquered. I got news for you. His dead carcass didn't feel anything but damnation. We build up these ideas of life and death. We, we follow the trends and we listen and we base our doctrine of life and death on some movie. I'm going to tell you it's more than a movie. It's real truth. And that is victory is over the purpose of death. He said in 1 Corinthians, the resurrection chapter 15, verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have died. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Christ is coming back. And we will live forever with him. But then there is victory over the power of death. Look in the latter part of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. This will be a good place. If you've never shouted, this may be the place you want to. He said, O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. We've already seen that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He ever makes, he ever lives to make intercession. He is sitting at the same place he sat down. 2,000 years ago, waiting on you to come and call on his name. Listen, science does not refute the resurrection, for real scientific method examines facts and forms a theory. You see, not form a theory and then deny the facts. The truth is, Graham Scroggie wrote, the resurrection is not denied because the evidence is not there or is regarded as insufficient, but the evidence is rejected and repudiated because the, reject, the resurrection is denied. He was seen over by over 500 just at the Mount of Pentecost. Now I want to ask you a practical question. If all these apostles that saw Jesus in his resurrected body was lying, then how stupid could you be to give your life for a cause that you made up in your head? They saw Jesus and knew he was worth dying for. If you take them all together, he was seen by over 5,000 eyewitnesses. Even when we go to Israel and those Jewish guides lead us, they never deny that Jesus existed. They just deny that he's the Messiah. I'm here to tell you today, Jesus is the Christ. Hebrews 10, 26 says this. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. I want to ask you what the angels ask the ladies at the tomb. Why? Why? Do you seek the living among the dead? You're seeking life in the death of habits. You're seeking life in the death of friendships. You're seeking life in the death or death of recreation and vacation and feeling good about yourself and ego. When the only place to find life is in Jesus Christ, why? Ask yourself, am I seeking Life and death? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 tells us this. He says, now listen. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if, is, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, and we're found false witnesses of God. 
because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up if, in fact, the dead does not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. That's a mighty big ifs, isn't it? If I would have just come to the altar, if I would have just believed the gospel, if I would have just followed the Spirit in my life, if I would have surrendered that Easter morning, make no mistake, there are no more ifs. Jesus lives. Are you tired of living a miserable life? Are you tired of living in the if if I would have played ball, if I would have went to college, if I would have made more money, if, 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 why not come? Put an exclamation point on the question today and say, Jesus lives and he lives in me. For I have come before the Lord and said, Father, I'm a sinner and I'll die in my own sin. Lord, I confess my sins and I ask you, confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior that he was crucified, dead, buried, but is risen again for me. Father, save me. May that be your plea today if you're lost. If you're saved and this is where you belong and you need to show that, you need to show the Lord by an act of faithfulness, by being baptized as a believer or joining this church as a statement that you mean to be all in to be what God has called you to be. What greater day to do it than on Easter? Right now, without hesitation, come to the altar, church. Come to Jesus. He is risen.